How's everybody doing this morning? We're glad you guys are here. Welcome online. And I, online, if you could do this real quick, if you'll take the time to share this message, because even though we're socially distant, man, this message can go around the world. We just don't know whose life we can impact. So my name is Chris Neal, man. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. And what about Barb? Man, that was an amazing story, wasn't it? I mean, that was, that was crazy. Just seeing her life transformed over time and then actually getting to see all these testimonies throughout the Multiply study has been, has been, has been, really, has been really amazing. And so some of you might be wondering why this trash can is here, right? Maybe you're expecting Oscar the Grouch to come out of this thing. I don't know. Does anybody remember that guy? So this is an old school trash can. They don't make them like this anymore. And so some of you in here and some of you online, you may remember dragging this trash can up and down the driveway and it clanging, taking out the trash, you know, before they had wheels. And now we have these bougie trash cans, don't we? These big ones with these big wheels that just hold double the trash and somehow we can fill them all up. And then I'm convinced that some of us, we don't even have a trash can at our house. Not, not anybody here, but I think some people probably use the dirt road out by my house as their trash can. <laughs> the kids and I, we like to get in the Jeep and we'll drive down, we call it the rock road, and we'll count the number of TVs in the ditch. Or we'll guess how many old tires we're going to find on the way out through the rock road. It's easy entertainment. It's cheap entertainment. So, but the point is, like we all got trash in our lives. And most of us have some kind of trash can at our house. Because we all produce trash. Like we make a lot of trash and a lot of garbage. And we got to find a way to deal with it. And I think most of us, we like to kind of have some kind of effort of containing and hiding the trash in our life. And we live by this motto of out of sight, out of mind. So at my house, we have what looks like a kitchen drawer. And then you open the kitchen drawer and then boom, there's a trash can inside of that thing. And most of us, we don't have trash just thrown all over our living room, hopefully, and all over the house. Or if we do, we pick it up when people come over because we don't want people to see our trash. We don't want others to see the trash and the garbage in our life. We don't want to smell it. Like we want to just find a way to contain all the garbage in our lives, don't we? And so my prayer is, is that after this message, for those of you who are lucky enough to get to check the trash out, of your house that you're never going to do it the same or when you see a trash can you're never going to look at it quite the same and so this week we're going to try and use this trash can as an analogy for the trash in our life and we're going to talk about this subject that we're talking about and multiply this week of sacrifice and atonement and before we do all that i have a three minute video that i want you to see on sacrifice and atonement from the bible project well Early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. 
And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priests would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So, I hope you guys learned as much about sacrifice and atonement as I did from that video. All of these themes that we talk about and multiply, they're kind of complicated and, and complex. And so, I want to challenge you to look at more of these videos. The Bible Project is a great resource. Uh, and actually, Tommy called me last night. I didn't know I was going to preach today because the Razorbacks did so bad. He said, I cannot preach today. So, that was the message. I'm going to get you guys to the buffet quick. We're glad you're here. So, but this week we are learning about the system that God uses called sacrifice and atonement. And the first thing that Francis Chan in the book of Multiply that he talks about is this. He says, human beings are incapable of living sinless lives and enjoying God's presence on the basis of their own moral purity. That means being perfect and doing things right. So something has to be done about the sin that inevitably enters the lives of God's people. 
And so sin gets in our life and it, and it kind of junks up our lives. It brings some more garbage into our lives. It creates this barrier between us and God because God is holy and God can never be in the presence of sin. And so through all throughout the Old Testament, in, in the Old Testament, we see that God shows us how to make these sacrifices, shows the Israelites how to make these sacrifices to get rid of the sin in their life. And for us to have a process where we take out the trash and get rid of the trash in our life, it's really not that foreign to us. I mean, most of us, we take the trash out of our house probably once or twice a week. Maybe your mom and dad makes you take it out, but somebody takes the trash out once or twice a week, and they usually take it to a bigger can like this one. And then once, once a month or so, we actually pay somebody to get rid of all the trash in our life because we don't like to look at it. We don't like to smell it. We don't want to see it. Like, we want this trash in our life gone, or at least hidden where other people can't see it. And so if you can catch on to these facts this morning, like you are well on your way to understanding a, like a big part of the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus. And the facts are this, that we all have trash in our lives. We all have to find a way to deal with the trash in our lives regularly. And there's always a price to pay to get rid of the trash in your life. Or you can start to think of it like this this morning. There's always a price to pay to get rid of the sin in your life. And that is basically like, like a big part of what the Old Testament is talking about, that someone or something has to pay for the trash and the garbage and the sin in our lives. And in the Old Testament, God brings his people, the Israelites, out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they start crossing the desert and they cross the desert for a couple of years, and then they finally end up at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. That's a great place to stop in the desert, isn't it? But it's at the foot of Mount Sinai that God starts to make this covenant with his people. He also makes them a promise, which we'll talk about a little later, but he makes this covenant with his people, and he starts giving them these guidelines that they have to live by to get rid of the sin in their lives and all these sacrifices that they have to make to get rid of the sin in their lives. And so in the book of Leviticus, like God gives them specific instructions on what they had to do so that they could be in the presence of a holy and living God. And in the book of Multiply this week, like you're challenged to read Leviticus 16. And if you have never read Leviticus 16, like I want to challenge you to read Leviticus 16 this week. Because man, it is, it is like... It is raw and it is real. And some of you are going to be grossed out by what you read. And some of you are going to be like, man, this is weird. Like, like what's up with all the, the blood and the gut? And, and some of you are going to be like, I don't really understand what God is even doing in the book of Leviticus. But what we have to remember about the book of Leviticus is that we're stepping into a different culture and a different time and a different way of doing things. And so, and it's also super important when we read the book of Leviticus, that we should humble ourselves to the best that we can. We should take on this posture of a learner when we read things like this in the Old Testament, because there is definitely a different way of seeing the world at work in Leviticus 16 and in the Old Testament. And so as you read that stuff, think about that. And, and also try to shift your focus. Like our focus shouldn't be, man, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. No, your focus should be like, what is the meaning of all this? Why did the Israelites have to do this? How is this a part of my story too? 
And we start looking for these repeated words and these repeated phrases. And we try and hone in on those because that's God trying to tell us something. Because we're covenant people with God if you believe in Jesus. And so how is the Old Testament story in Leviticus part of my story too? And so while we aren't in the same system that the Israelites were under, somebody should be saying amen, hashtag amen on that one for sure, right? <laughs> the, the theme of sacrifice and atonement, man, it plays a huge part in our relationship with God. And so Leviticus 16.34, it says this. It says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And so in this book of Leviticus, you're going to see this word atonement a lot. How many have used the word atonement on, uh, like in a sentence this year? In a chat, online, hashtag atonement. I'll get a lot of searches. But <laughs> so atonement means it means to cover our sins. It means to pay our sins as a ransom for our sins. And we're like we don't use the word atonement a lot. But the idea of atonement plays out really kind of practical in our everyday lives. So let me give you this little funny example that'll kind of help us all get on the same page of sacrifice and atonement. So let's say that me and my lovely wife, Katie, like we invite you out to dinner and we take you to someplace so special and so amazing and so wonderful. Chili's. I knew you guys were thinking that. Hashtag Chili's. <laughs> we're going to get a gift card from them. So anyway, hashtag this. So we take you there, and we get the baby back ribs, the barbecue sauce. Like, we get all this stuff. We're living it up. You know, it's having a good time. And then all of a sudden, the bill comes. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And Katie looks at me, and she's like, oh, my goodness. And, and, and like, we forgot our wallets. And so then we look at you, and we say, we forgot our wallets. We cannot pay for our dinner. And you're nice. Like, you're a nice person. You're like, oh, man, I got you covered. Like, I'm willing to pay for this. I'm willing to like, take the hit for you. And they're sick. You're like, I ain't ever going out with these suckers again. Right? But that makes sense to us, right? Like we committed a transgression against you. Like we were not able to pay for our dinner. And you were willing to sacrifice. Like you sacrificed your hard-earned money. And you paid the price for our dinner instead of us. So that we didn't have to go back there and wash all those baby back rib plates. That stuff messy. So if that didn't make sense, I don't see how that couldn't have, but if that didn't make sense, let's look at a biblical example, kind of get everybody on the same page. And so I want everybody online and everybody here to pretend that you are Joe Israelite, okay? Just get that in your mind, I'm Joe Israelite, and all of a sudden, something happened, and you stole somebody else's instant manna pot, Okay? So you've taken somebody else's instant manna pot and your family saw you take it and your friends saw you take it and God saw you take it. So what you got to do, first thing you got to do is you go, go, you got to go find an animal. This is Lammy. You got to go find you Lammy, an animal without defect. And you and your family, you're going to go to Aaron, the high priest. And you say, I have sinned against God and my family. And Aaron's going to say, hold up. He's going to say, first, put your hand on top of the young animal's head, and you're going to confess all your sins. Not just the instant manna pot stuff, but all your sins. And you're going to name all your sins and stuff right on top of the little lammy's head. And then after you do that, the priest is going to take little lammy and go, that's the sound it's going to make. 
And it's going to be graphic and it's going to be real and it's going to be raw. And in this process, you are transferring your sins onto little Lammy's head. And little Lammy is becoming your atonement, your sacrifice. Little Lammy's paying the price for you. This whole process is graphic and it's raw and it's real and it scars young children for generations. But how does all this make atonement for Joe Israelite. So remember, atonement means to cover our sins. It means to pay a ransom for our sins. So somehow in the Old Testament system of sacrifice and atonement, all these sins are transferred onto Lammy's head. And Lammy covers your sins in the Old Testament system of sacrifice and atonement. And so some of you are like, this is too barbaric. Why can't God just forgive me? What's up with all this? Why all the blood? Like, what is going on? But what we're going to see when you read Leviticus 16 this week is there's this overarching theme that God is using to show us this human viewpoint of sin. And God is using this overarching theme to show us this human viewpoint of selfishness. And God is teaching us that there are always consequences for our actions. Like, you got to be wise with who you hang out with. And there are always consequences for the sin in our life. God is showing us through the book of Leviticus this overarching picture of how sin really looks in our lives. And God, through this graphic portrayal of sin in Leviticus 16, like he's showing us that sin is a huge deal, that it's a big deal. That sin creates trash in our life. That sin creates garbage in our world. And that sin ultimately separates us from God. And the sin just keeps piling up. And God cannot overlook the sin. At least that's what Francis Chan says. Francis Chan says, God will never lower his standards when it comes to the sin in our lives. Because that would diminish his holiness. And so when we flippantly act like the sin in our life is no big deal, at least I didn't kill anybody, right? We are trying to adjust God's level of holiness to ours. And that never works. Like the sin in your life has to be dealt with. How many of you ever played Trash Tower Jenga? I'm sure some of you have played it online. So Trash Tower Jenga is trash can just keeps getting fuller and fuller. and You keep pushing it down as hard as you can. And then eventually it gets to the top. And so then you start stacking pieces of trash and it gets super high. And then all of a sudden what happens? The Jenga trash tower falls and whoever it falls on, that's the person has got to take it out, right? And that's kind of funny. But what if you took that analogy and used it to look at the sin in your life and then the sin in our world and nobody wants to address it? Like nobody wants to take ownership of it. And the sin in our life and in the sin in our world is just piling up. It's just stacking up. And this way of thinking, like in this way of doing things, heaps up a lot of trash and a lot of sin in our lives and in the world. And what does a world like that look like? Where this just keeps going on and on? Looks a lot like a world like ours, where there's pain and there's tragedy and there's broken relationships. And this results in like conflict and violence and death. Like sin is a life and death matter. 
And in the book of Leviticus, God is getting in our face. And God is saying, do you realize how grave the sin in your life is? How serious it is? God cannot overlook sin. But God did give us a New Testament way to deal with the sin in our lives. So remember, in the Old Testament, it's Lammy. Lammy takes the hit. Lammy covers your sins. Lammy pays for your sins. Lammy is the atonement. And you would think that when the Israelites saw little sweet Lammy take the hit, especially the young children, I'm never sinning again. I don't care what I got to do. I don't want to be a part of that ever again, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that some of the Israelites, they did this stuff every day. They did this stuff like weekly. And once a year, they would, every Israelite had to do this. Can you imagine the line? Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine the, I can't imagine it, but it's, it's real and it's graphic if you really think about it. And they did this for years. And the sin is just heaping up and the sin is just piling up. But why does the sin just keep happening? And so in Hebrews 10, 1 through 3, we see more of God's plan. So the law, the sacrifice and atonement system that we're talking about, that's what they're referring to in the law, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship God, basically, or to dwell with God. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have, have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. So God knew that this system uh, uh, was never going to be sufficient. And God knew that. And so God brought one holy and perfect lamb known as the Lamb of God. So we didn't need the animals anymore. God brought us one spotless and perfect lamb known as the Lamb of God. And it was a man. Does anybody know what that man's name is? Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, just like seminary. Hashtag Jesus, like he brought us one holy and spotless lamb, the lamb of God to atone for the sins of the world. And Hebrews 12 through 14 kind of finishes it all out. It says, but when this priest, this priest is Jesus that we're talking about, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so this arrival of a Savior on the scene known as Jesus, it wasn't God's plan B or plan C. God didn't sit up there, oh man, this sacrificial system is out of control. No, he didn't do that. Like God promises all throughout the Old Testament that there's someone coming, that there's someone coming like Moses, but way better than Moses, that there's someone coming and they're going to be a descendant of David. God promises that. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and Jesus says, I am a descendant of David and his, his genealogy is proven. 
And Jesus says that he is the Messiah. And Jesus says he is the Savior that, that the world needs. And the people that started to hang out with Jesus, they talked about him like this. In John 1.29, and this is John the Baptist speaking. And the next day, John, he sees Jesus coming. And the first thing he said was, look, the Lamb of God. We don't need animals anymore. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is here. And Jesus even said this about himself in Mark 10, 45. He said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as an atonement for many. And even the guys that hung out with Jesus, his earlier Christ followers, they said this in 1 John 2, 2. He, meaning Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. So what are all these verses saying? There's so many more verses like that. But what are all these verses saying? They're saying, man, we don't need the animal anymore to take the hit for us. Like Jesus is here. We don't need this, this no longer need this animal to sacrifice anymore. Because now we have a man that's going to take his place. And that man has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. Jesus took our sins when he went on the cross. And you know why Jesus did that? Because he loves broken people. Like he loves broken people that will just cry out and say, Man, Jesus, help me get the trash out of my life. And that is a beautiful word called grace. A beautiful word called grace. Can you imagine, like you can close your eyes or just imagine with me, but imagine trying your best to live into this word called grace. Imagine to press into this freedom that Jesus has offered you. Imagine how beautiful that could be. And yes, like you're still going to have some trash in your life. We're never going to be perfect. But now the trash in your life does not rule over your life. And over time, man, of hanging out with Jesus, you start to change, I'm here to tell you. And over time of this persistently hanging on to Jesus through the good times and the bad, you start to change. And then one day, you look around, and your life is totally different. You look around, and you say, how did I become a pastor? Why is Jesus? Or you look around and you see these things happening. And you're like, how did that spouse forgive this other spouse? How, how are they still together? It's Jesus. It's this beautiful word called grace. Man, and you look around. You know, like, how did I stop comparing my life to everybody else's highlight real life on, on, on social media? Like, how did I do that? How did I realize that I'm enough on my own? It's Jesus. And you don't forget the trash. Like, you don't forget this trash. But this trash no longer rules over you. It no longer rules your life. And you press into this freedom that God has given you. And you say, I'm no longer a slave to that trash. It's in the past. Can you imagine, like, living like that? Into this grace and into this freedom? Like, I'm here to tell you it's possible. Somebody in this room needs to get a hold of this. Somebody online needs to get a hold of this message. Grace and freedom, man. 
So maybe you're here today or maybe you're online and you, one time you lived like that where the trash and the sin in your life, it didn't rule over you. And then over time, you know, you became kind of numb to the sin in your life. Over time, the cynic in you is like, well, you know, at least I'm not killing anybody. And you get to the point where you don't even grieve the sin in your life anymore. It really is like, all right, I'm just going to do it, God. But when you read the book of Leviticus, especially chapter 16 this week, like I pray that God will show you how graphic and how horrible your sin is. Like I pray that God will show you like the death and the loss and the pain and the hurt that your sin is causing. And that's a tough one, right? I mean, this is a heavy truth. This is a hard message to deliver. <laughs> this is a hard message to receive. Because I just want to get up here and have all the happy fun messages. Let Tommy deal with all this stuff, right? <laughs> but I know I got to read Leviticus this week. I got to read Leviticus 16 this week. And I got to look for the sin in my life this week. I got to look for the sin that I take flippantly. But when I do that, like I know that I'm going to see this amazing grace that God has given me. And when I press into that freedom, man, I know I'm going to see this, this amazing thing that God has already done in my life. And I'm going to start to imagine, like, what else does God have for me? This trash will not rule over my life any longer. I'm going to start to imagine what it looks like to be free. And I'm going to see a Savior that didn't just clean up my life. I'm going to see a Savior that saved my life. And so during this last song, I'm going to ask you to really examine your life. It's kind of tough to really do that. And I'm going to ask you to talk to Jesus about some of the trash in your life. I'm going to ask you to talk to Jesus uh, about some of the stuff that you want to get out of your life. I'm going to ask you to really remember his sacrifice. I'm going to ask you to really remember his atonement on the cross and what he has done for you. I'm going to ask you to really grieve the sin in your life and all the hurt and pain that comes with that. And the kneelers, they're open. You can come down and pray. But you've got to get this stuff out into the light. Or if you want any prayer online, you can just click a button. It's just one prayer away. But you've got to get this stuff out into the light. And no longer be a slave to the things of the past. No longer let this stuff rule over you. Don't be shackled to this stuff when you walk out that door today. Amen?